Hi, this is Maya Thomas. I am the DSC podcast producer of our first ever series. And I just wanted to give you a quick rundown of DSC as an organization before we get started. So DSC is a team of 33 people across Australia, all working together to bring specialized training and consulting expertise to providers in the disability sector. Our focus is on helping providers to survive and thrive in the NDIS. And our purpose is better outcomes for people with disability. We take a different approach to our work. We focus on what works best for you, not us. We're real people and we respect that you are too. And we challenge what needs to change. These podcasts bring a new dimension to our work and our commitment to be fun, frank and future facing. So we hope you enjoy listening to them as much as we did putting them together. Hello and welcome to Candid Conversations, Disability Done Different. I'm Evie Norfell and this is the Robin to my Batman, Roland, also known as my dad. I thought it was <laughs> bring your dad to work day. <laughs> oh, you don't like any of my jokes. <laughs> No, this is my podcast, and Evie is the sidekick. So that's what he'd like to think. Yeah, that's well, what I, I lead him to believe. Yeah, I keep trying to keep her down, and I haven't been able to. When Evie was a kid, we did control crying, which is where you let the ch- child cry all night. This and I totally came in the morning, and she's standing at the side of a wooden cot, holding the cot like she's in jail, with teeth marks all the way across the top. And if that doesn't tell you a lot about Evie's personality, nothing does. In one of our episodes, Evie's actually got a really heavy cold. It sounds like a normal human being because the edge has been taken off. I told him at the beginning of the podcast, we have to say that he's my dad or else he's going to come off like a really abusive boss. He's just a really abusive dad. It's fine. You grew up with that, didn't you? What are we even doing here? (laughs) Talking to fabulous people, but we've already done that. So now we want to move into... Introducing the fabulous people. Yeah. Our guest today is Leighton Jay, and Leighton Jay is one of our favourite people in the disability sector, not just because we're biased, because he's also one of DSC's consultants, but because, at least from my perspective, he's one of the people who really walks the walk. When he I, gives a shit. He really does. When I present with Leighton, he'll say things, and I'll think to myself, oh, I have to say it that way. But then I remember, I don't have to say it that way, I have to think it that way. Yeah, 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 you're right. And so Leighton is somebody who really is of the school of thought of one person at a time. Yep. Which will, one person at a time is really, it's self-evident. I don't know what the phrase is when something is self-evident, but one person at a time has been around a lot longer than person-centered planning or individualized funding. It really is, as it sounds, treating everybody as an individual and seeking to go one person at a time. And there's a bunch of organizations around Australia. We talked to Mamre, we talked to Leighton, and we'll eventually talk to Frank from Milparenka if we can stop him swearing. <laughs> If you're listening, Frank, we're coming for you. Yeah, yeah. But that's not what we're talking to Leighton about. No. We talk to him about um, religion, spirituality, marriage. No shit, that is really what we talk to him about in this episode. Yeah. (laughs) And it's interesting, we hope. So this one gets deep real fast. I hope you brought your floaties because we're just going to go straight into into the middle. (laughs) Here we go. Thanks, Leighton. Hello, this is a podcast. I could do the same joke again. Disability Services Consulting. (laughs) We're really excited! Do not keep that in. (laughs) Let's roll. Funny how often we have these experiences together, Evie, but about 18 months ago, you and I were sitting in a room with a couple of parents that we really admired for the way they built a life for their adult daughter with a disability. They had worked so hard to do all kinds of things to create individual opportunities, sacrificed heaps, as I imagine you Mm. have, in your life, Leighton. And they're pretty happy with the way their daughter's their daughter's going these days as an adult, and she's off once a week with her friends um, living overnight um, once a week. 
But then towards the end of the session, they lamented and they said, other couples our age, a lot of them have put their um, adults into residential care and are now off doing cruises and doing that sunset stuff, which I'm terrified of, but <laughs> a lot of people want to do. Do you ever regret? Do you have thoughts about could you be doing the sunset stuff if you lived your life a bit differently? Uh, well, having had 10 weeks away in Canada uh, last year, then I really can't complain that I don't get the opportunity to do that. Um, so probably just give a bit of background that, yeah. that I have three adult children. My oldest son, Paul, is uh, the one Roland's referring to. And Paul has, I guess, significant support needs uh, due to disability. We supported him eight years ago to move into his own place. We have taken a one-person-at-a-time approach to him. I would not for a moment say we've got everything right even now, but it's a, it's a learning journey. What we do know is that with Paul moving out, he has gained enormously in independence and confidence, and we have gained enormously in having a lot more freedom. Uh, which That's has, a great counterpoint. That's really good. And so we have had the opportunity, my wife and I, and we have taken the opportunity to do a bit of travel at times and link that to work both when I was at university and as a consultant, and that's interstate and a bit of overseas travel from time to time. Um, and that certainly wasn't possible when he was younger and living at home and more dependent on us. So uh, that's been a really positive outcome for us. So my story is a bit incomplete. It's a little incomplete from, well, it's it's just, I guess, not been our experience, but yeah. I, can exper I, I can see how for lots of parents who take that one person at a time approach, they end up still tied into their child's life and support in a way which means everything is still quite dependent on them in lots of ways. I wanted to talk to you, Leighton, about love and marriage, but as two separate topics. <laughs> So love in the workplace. So Sally, we, we, I suspect we'll end up quoting Sally endlessly. Sally Coddington talks about the importance of being able to bring love in a support worker role, in a one-to-one -one workplace role. But you and I went through the 80s and 90s where everything became professional and there was certainly no role for love in the workplace. So do you have an opinion and where do you sit on all this sort of stuff? That's very interesting. I was running workshops in Canada last year and we, we actually tackled this in a context of spirituality and, and support work That's a great way to go. Um, workshops. But when I take it to my spirituality and values, then everything drills down to love. Um, and when I try and define what do I mean by love, I find myself keeping going back to Scott Peck's definition in um, The Road Less Travelled, which is extending oneself on behalf of another. So my experience is, is very similar. Working with support workers, we ran a number of spirituality-type workshops and they went to it like ducks to water. Mm. It was just lovely working with them. They understood a lot more than I think you'd see in almost any other workplace where people understood the concept of spirituality and love and intermingling. And I sometimes tell the story about once I was working on the site, I was just standing near the side of a hydrotherapy pool and in the pool was a young man about 22, a support worker. And coming into the pool was a young woman about 22 with severe cerebral palsy and a number of um, very significant physical issues. And she was being almost craned into the pool by one of those special pool wheelchairs. She gets into the wheelchair, the wheelchair comes across and drops her into the heated pool. As she hits the heated pool, he has his arms waiting for her. As she hits the heated pool, 
she's released from her body mm-hmm. and she gets so few releases from her body. As she hits the pool, she looks him in the eye and I saw God and I'm not religious. I saw love and spirituality between those two young people in a swimming pool, in a working relationship, a yeah. transactional working relationship. It's probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's love. Let's do marriage. Well, before we go on to that, I mean, I think the... Where, where for me it gets a little tricky is that I don't think organisations necessarily set up support workers very well around this stuff or around their role. And so I've heard many support workers describe themselves as a person's friend, best friend, best friend forever, and then disappear into state. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... And I don't think that's very helpful because I think the role needs to include a real expectation that the person, the support worker's job includes supporting the person to build their own friendships mm-hmm. and relationships that are unpaid with other people. And yes, they need to bring their love to that. But if they think that bringing my love to work with the person and loving them is enough, then they're letting the person down ultimately. Yeah. Can we talk a bit about power then? So before we get on to love, then power, then marriage, that seems to be a nice... (laughs) It's a logical progression. Yeah, it does seem to. But one of the things that always strikes me about the support worker relationship or the support workers themselves is I don't think they always acknowledge the level of power they have in the individual's life with whom they're working. They're going to work, they're doing the best possible job they can, but I don't think a lot of them realise the impact a shitty mood or a great mood mm. from their behalf yep. will have on the person with whom they're working. There's a power imbalance there. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's, yep. Is it really that simple? It's, um, I don't think anything's necessarily simple, but, but I think these are all facets of what needs to be unpacked around that support worker role and what organisations need to think about. So when we think about quality service, then ultimately the quality of your service is going to depend on the on the support workers you have, the sense of meaningfulness they have in the role, the way that you package that role up and define it for them, and the way you support and train them to do it. But if there's not an expectation that they will be contributing to the person having valued roles in the lives of other people, socially or economically valued either way um, and that they won't that they will build relationships with those people if that's not an expectation then we're failing the people we support so i know you're interested in group facilitation i know you've just mentioned that you're interested in talking to people about the role of spirituality in the workplace so i can i can just imagine the work you're doing which is with people talking about what's meaningful at work and how do we bring meaning out in work? Why is working with people with disability such an important and where did, such an important thing to do? Where does spirituality fit in? But in my experience, which is now 30 years of, of disability, there are so few organisations having those discussions. Mm. Yet when you have those discussions, they're incredibly powerful yep. for mm. attra- attracting, retaining and keeping your workforce. They're economically productive conversations to have when you talk about spirituality in the workplace. Yeah, yeah. but you know the conversation we're having instead is the conversation about customer service. 
So tell us what you mean. Well, I mean, when, when organisations are seeing a, a, a lack in that connection between participants and their workers, their response is customer service training. And I think time and time again, when we've been brought in to do something like customer service training, we find having those conversations about why do you do this work? Why do you stay? What's meaningful about it? And how do you support somebody to um, to live the life they want? That's when you get somebody stepping into the role that, you know, we might call customer service, but feels pretty insulting at that point. But those are heartbreaking, those conversations, and you would have had them a number of times where you really get to someplace special and then you know the work is going back to an asshole boss. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that happens for people in all sorts of industries and jobs. And people need to make their own decision about whether they will do that, whether they've got the ticker and the support they need to be in that kind of place. Um, I worked in aged care facilities when I was younger uh, and I experienced all of that, um, you know, with with places where we used to play hunt the key on the weekends because we would run out of clean linen and they'd hide the linen-covered key. So we would play hunt the key to be able to get linen. Otherwise, what are we doing for Sunday evening? The bosses were hiding the keys because yeah. they didn't want because you to cost you more laundry. That's right. It yeah. was managing a laundry cost. Mm-hmm. So so I understand, but, you know, my, I just see that So I could manage that so long as I saw my role in relation to the people I was serving and to be authentic and in relationship with them and then ignore a whole lot of the politics stuff. Yeah, I love it. We're starting to run out of time, so I want to... Yep. We've, we've talked about meaning, we've talked about love, we've talked about power, so I do want to finish with marriage. Yep. I, I've worked with a lot of parents of kids with disabilities, and there's some good dads out there, there's, there's some good dads, so I just want to preface the next comment with that. But there's a lot of dads that leave, and there's a lot of dads that leave in place by going to work. All of a sudden, work becomes really, really important and they need to be there really long hours. And we end up with um, either single mums or single mums yeah. at home with a dad that's um, busy being economically productive. Tell us about um, your view of marriage and disability. I think Jenny and I were really fortunate that when we'd been married about three or four years and uh, Paul came along after we'd been married two years, somebody let us know that the divorce rate for couples with a disabled child was 80%. Mm -hmm. Um, And we looked at each other and we said, let's do our darndest to be in the 20. Mm -hmm. So it was a commitment that we made to one another pretty early. And I think lots of couples don't get that information. Uh, We we weren't on the home ownership uh, bandwagon then or um, conveyor belt. It's cost us economically without a doubt massively, I would say, compared to our peers. But we've never, since any kids came along, we've never had a time where both of us have worked full time. Fantastic. So we've made, I guess, decisions along the way. And part of that has been aided and abetted by the fact that I've never really considered myself career-minded. I've had had a sense of vocation and calling, but not career. Um, Mm. So I would have been one of those dads, though, that also disappeared to work. And Jenny's been very patient with me and she certainly got on the journey of what an individualised life of potential could be for Paul before I did. And then she had the job of dragging me onto the same journey. Great story, so, buddy. She's yeah. done a great job. <laughs> I just I want to finish with one person at a time or the, the, the whole thing. Can you just um, give us your elevator pitch on Newport, whatever you want? But Look, I think one of the things that... 
uh, I've learned from Paul in, and really has landed for me the last couple of years has been when we're trying to engage people in this work and there's a lot of talk about is there going to be a workforce shortage and where are we going to find the people? Our experience has been you don't need people with, experience, with disability experience. You need people who want meaningful work and young people want meaningful work far more than baby boomers want meaningful work in my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's nothing... Very little happening in Australia that's more meaningful than helping to build something that is potentially life-changing and society-changing, like the NDIS. And every person that gets involved and really gets on with the vision and the, the, what the intent of that vision is, is making their little contribution to building a much, much better life and community and society. Thank you, Leighton. It's been fabulous. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Leighton. Lovely chat. Cool. Cool. You've been listening to Disability Done Different, Candid Conversations, and we are Disability Services Consulting. We hope that with this podcast, we can bring a bit of that DSC spirit to life as well and show you how we do things differently in the disability sector. What makes us different, Roland? We're highly specialist. We've got a bunch of subject matter specialists that just drill down and know the NDIS really well. We give a shit, and I think that's partly because more than half our consultants have lived experience of disability, so mm-hmm. they're not going to cut corners. They want to produce the best possible outcomes for the organisations because they know that makes a difference for the people with whom we work. If you want to learn more about us, you can go to disabilityservicesconsulting.com.au. You can subscribe to our fantastic weekly newsletter. It's great. And if you subscribe, you'll get the notifications for when our next podcast is coming out. So you can do both of those things by following the links below. Did you say next podcast? Yeah. It's not the last one. Great. Let's trap yourselves in. Mm.